Uh, Turn with me your Bible to Psalm 117. It's on page 511 of the Pew Bible. Uh, Psalm 117. This year, uh, our theme as a church is for the city, but we have to be honest, um, God has a much bigger agenda and his agenda is for the world. And so as we think about our mission for the city, it really is part of this larger mission that God has a plan for the world and for the city is simply a part of that larger plan. And we talk about for the world, uh, we mean that God has a plan that uh, includes places like Cuba and India and Costa Rica. It also includes the 1.8 billion Muslims around the world. Places like North Yemen. North Yemen is a country with a population of about 8 million or so people. To get a picture of that, that's New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming combined. And in North Yemen, in North Yemen, all of the Christians in that country would fit in our smallest classroom on our campus. There are about maybe 20 to 30 Christians in the entire country, which means that most people in North Yemen will live their entire lives without ever meeting a Christian. They will go their entire lives without ever hearing about God's amazing love. They'll hear about Jesus, but they won't hear the truth about Jesus. They won't hear about what he's done for us, his redemption. they, They have no way of ever understanding about who Jesus is and the love that Christ has shown to each of us. And North Yemen is just one place like that. Uh, There are a dozen countries where less than uh, 1% of the population are Christians. Japan, uh, which is home to 126 million people, uh, is about 1% Christian. Even even Christian Europe, when you think about places like where the Reformation started, Germany, uh, France, others, uh, where of course the Reformation wasn't much in France, but other places in Europe. In Europe, 82% of people do not attend church of any kind of any kind. Only 18% attend any sort of church. Now, you may be hearing this, you might think, well, you know, that's kind of interesting, but I, I, don't, I don't mean to be rude, Mark, but what does this have to do with me? Uh, you know, after all, uh, you know, I, I worship Jesus. Jesus is very meaningful to me. My faith is very meaningful to me, but if other people, especially those in a foreign land, uh, those who are far removed from me don't worship Jesus, that that doesn't really affect me. And, and furthermore, you know, if they're content with their own religion, then, then who are we to interfere? Why should we mess with that? Well, Psalm 117 answers those questions for us. Now, before we look at Psalm 117, there are a couple of fun facts, just a I wouldn't call this Bible trivia because I don't want to put the word Bible and trivia in the same sentence, but, uh, but not essential truth. So Psalm 117 is actually the shortest chapter in the Bible. And it's two chapters away from Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. Another little bit of fun, interesting information about Psalm 117. It is, uh, it is the 895th, excuse me, 595th chapter in the Bible. And go, well, why does that matter? Because there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. You can count. Uh, not right now, uh, though. Um, 1,189 chapters, which means Psalm 117 is the exact center of the Bible as far as chapters go. I don't know if there's any great significance to that. I think that does tell us that, you know, that's how it worked out, but it is at the very heart of God. Uh, but what is both interesting and significant is what the psalm is about. And since this psalm is short, 
And since this is a psalm that the nation of Israel would have sung together in their worship, we're gonna stand up and we're gonna say it together. I don't have a tune, otherwise we would sing it. Um, But we're gonna say it together and it's a psalm of praise. And so you don't sing a psalm of praise with a sour face and half heart. You sing a psalm of praise like you're excited about what is happening here. And so we're gonna say this one together uh, out loud and it'll be on the screens as well. Let's say it together. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That was great. (laughs) Well, let's pray. Father, as we come and we, we look at your word here today, words that you have given for us to sing, but you have instructed us through them, we pray. Give us hearts that are willing to listen, hearts that will hear, and hearts that will obey out of love for all that you have done for us. And so, Lord, open our ears to your word. Holy Spirit, We know that as we gather, unless you move in our hearts, you open our ears and uh, unstop our ears and open our eyes, uh, that we uh, can't do anything here. This will be a a worthless exercise. So we plead with you, stir our hearts that we might sing this song to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, in these two verses, uh, at least as they are understood in the context of the rest of the Bible, uh, they answer the question for us, why missions? And this is an important question for us because I know for some of you, for some of you, missions is, and and foreign missions in particular, is something that's very much on your heart. And for some of you, you're going, "Eh," you know, Uh, and and, and I get that. In fact, should I say this? You know, when in doubt, say it. So, uh, you know, I I think most missions conferences, I can write down who's gonna show up before we have them. I really think I could, uh, because it's the people who already are excited about what God's doing around the world. And everyone else is going, eh, you know? And so I want you to surprise me, but I want to give you a reason why uh, to surprise me and show up and say, you know, I think God is doing something, and I think this is exciting, and I want to be a part of it. And so we see uh, in this psalm um, several reasons why uh, we can be joining God in God's mission. And so first of all, we see that we go to the nations, first of all, because God loves us, because God loves us. Now in verse one, God invites the world to join with God's people. We as God's people are to invite the world to join with us in praising God. And in verse two, it gives the reason why. So very simple Psalm, verse one, singing to the world. Verse two, here's why they should join us in singing. And it begins with, for great is his steadfast love towards us. Great is his steadfast love. Now that word translated steadfast love is the other Hebrew word you know. The one, first word you know is shalom. And the second one you may have heard at different times is the Hebrew word hesed. And, and I can't even say it right. If you're German, you probably can get it better. You gotta say it from the throat here. It's kind of like, you know, hesed, you know. And, um, and it means, well, steadfast love, but that's still a bit of a weak translation. Uh, we don't have any word that will, uh, can accompany it. It means covenant loyalty or faithful love. It's, it's not just love, it's steadfast love. It's not just kindness, it's dependable kindness. It's a love that never lets you go, a love that never says, says die. Uh, oftentimes, it refers to a, a love in action. In fact, we, we see this uh, in the book of Ruth. It, it comes from when a, a stronger party comes to the aid 
of a weaker person who's in dire straits and is desperate. That's the kind of love that this is. It's, it's the love of a strong person towards a desperate person. And furthermore, this psalm doesn't merely say that, God, uh, that God's steadfast love is great. Uh, actually, it's a bit stronger than that, that the verb is, is much more active. It literally says that God's love has prevailed over us or has protected us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the message, I think gets to the essence beautifully. He translates it this way. He says, his love has taken over our lives. That captures the sense of what uh, we're singing about here. So we see that God's love is not passive. He's, he's not like the grandfather and the lazy boy who's just smiling at his delightful grandchildren and looking in to see how cute they are. He is, as Jesus describes himself, he is the good shepherd, the good shepherd who leaves the 99, who goes hunting down for the lost sheep, who tracks them down and brings the wayward sheep home. Uh, and that's, of course, what Jesus has done for us. The steadfast love we see primarily in the cross, where, where Jesus, when we were, were lost and we're gone astray, and Jesus leaves the, the glory of heaven, the comfort of there with his Father, and he, and he takes on human flesh. He becomes a human being in every sense of the word. He is truly, fully human. He endures the human life. He suffers. He, he has physical pain. He endures emotional pain. He endures the rejection of family and friends. And finally, as the good shepherd, he goes to the cross. And on the cross, while we're still sinners, as Paul tells us in Romans, Christ died for us. And God takes us, who were once his enemies, and now makes us his friends. He's the God who goes hunting down his enemies, not to kill them, but to bring them into his family as his own children. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And then the second half of verse two echoes the first half. Just as his steadfast love has overtaken our lives, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Uh, you know, we're, we're accustomed to, um, to love that starts strong and wanes over time. In fact, in, in many of our relationships, we find that someone can, it appears, love you dearly or you can love them dearly and something will happen and that relationship will be broken. My guess is everybody in this room has lost friends before. You probably lost friends that you thought you would love forever. Everybody in this room uh, probably knows firsthand or at least secondhand of families that have been torn apart. Everybody in this room knows someone who's gone through a divorce. And you know what that, that pain is like. And so what we see in the world is, is love is strong, but it's not always faithful. It dies over time for, for a variety of causes. But here, we see that God's love is a love that endures forever. It's a, it's a love that you can never earn, and so it's a love you can never lose. Uh, a number of years ago, a man came to see me. Uh, I was a young pastor. And I knew this man, we were friends of sorts, but we weren't particularly close. And he comes into my office and he, uh, you know, this, only, he was one of those good guys. He'd always, he'd always gone to church, grown up in church, always done the right thing, very nice, very polite. But behind all that was this secret that he had never told anyone. Not his wife, not his friends, not anyone. And it was eating him alive. And he comes in and he walks in and you could just see the shame all over him. He would not look me in the eye. Uh, he, he was filled with tears. And he tells me uh, what has gone on. He had already confessed to his wife and he came to me 
And I could tell he was just, uh, he was just broken. And, um, and I had to tell him something that was very, very hard for him to believe. And that is that Christ loves sinners. That Christ loves sinners. That Christ died for sinners. And for the first time in his life, I believe, I really believe this is true. For the first time in his life, he came to understand something of God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. Now, before, he, he already knew he was a sinner. Like, if I were to ask you, are you a sinner, everybody raises their hand. You, you, in fact, you already confessed earlier in the service. We, we admit that freely. But we admit that we're, in the words of Martin Luther, we'll admit that we're painted sinners, you know, just have a veneer of sin, but we don't admit that it goes to the core. And because, as Luther says, we are painted sinners, we only have a painted Savior. And until you can be truly honest about the real depth of your sin, and this is what happened with this man, by, 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 by admitting this, for the first time in his life, he saw himself as a real sinner in need of a real Savior. And then when he realized that and confessed that sin and realized Jesus really is a real Savior, that he really does love him, that he really does forgive him, that Christ really did die for his sin, it changed him. I mean, it, it, it transformed him. He, he, he was gripped by grace. Before he could say, I know what hesed means, I can look it up in the dictionary. Now he could say, I know what hesed means because I've experienced it. I've experienced that, that love of God. I know what it means to say God is faithful before because I sang it in all my hymns. Now I know what it means because I've seen God's faithfulness to me. And so we see that God's faithfulness came into his life. The, his, God's hesed overtook him, overpowered him. When we begin to understand that our sin is far worse than we thought, or at least far worse than we were willing to admit before, and yet Christ died for us, then we can have, uh, understand God's love is far greater than we ever thought. I think the reason our understanding of God's love is so shallow is oftentimes our understanding of our sin is so shallow. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 7? He said, he who is forgiven little loves little. He who's forgiven much, what? Loves much. The more we understand the grace of God and our own sin, the more it is overpowering to us. And this is the story we have to tell to the nations. Uh, it's not a story of cultural imperialism, uh, where we go out to those and say, hey, you other nations, you don't have it together. Let us Americans tell you how you ought to live because we figured this whole thing out. That is not the mission story. That is not what God is sending us out to do. The story that we have to tell to the nations is not one where we coerce them to be like us. Instead, the story we have to tell to the nations is that we too were lost. We too were alienated from God. We too were wandering. We too did not deserve God's love, yet God's love has prevailed over us. When we least deserved it, he has been faithful to us, and he's always been faithful to us. And that's what our God is like. And now, out of love for him, we are coming to tell you that he loves the nations as well. He doesn't just love us. He loves you. And that leads us to our second point. We not only go to the nations because we want to tell them of God's love for us, we go to the nations to tell them of God's love for them. Now, this psalm is a call to worship. Uh, and it could be used as a call to worship, but it's not just for the people of God, the people who are already saved. It's a call of worship to the nations of the world. And that raises a question. Who are the nations? What do we mean by that? And, and uh, what we mean by the nations, uh, well, say what we don't mean. We, we tend to view the world 
kind of a, our own ethnocentricity, can I use a better word? I think I can, what did I write? Something better than that. We tend to be um, uh, very centered on, our own, on ourselves. We, we look at a world through a lens that puts us at the center of everything. So for example, look at a map of how we look at the world. Notice what's at the center. What a coincidence, we are the center of the world, you know? Uh, and, and, and that's how we view things. You have America and you have the nations. Uh, even the way we use the words like ethnic. Hey, let's go get some ethnic food. And, uh, and so we go, so by ethnic food, we mean like Mexican food, Middle Eastern food, uh, kimchi, you know, something like that. Because, because, you know, everybody else is ethnic. I'm not ethnic, I'm white, you know, uh, as if, if that's not an ethnicity. Now that may sound subtle, but what it does is it's, it's a, it puts us at the very center, those of us who are the majority culture in our own country at the center, and everybody else is at the margins. You're the ethnic people, I'm normal. And, and we tend to view the world through that sort of lens. And what happens is when we view that world, the world through that sort of lens, that sort of bias can cause us to miss out on God's plan by putting ourselves at the center and everyone else at the margins. In fact, it's very, very hard for us to even break out of that mentality. To think that they're actually, that we think we're normal, anyone different from us is not normal. We're normal, everyone else is ethnic. Uh, and yet, we have to look at Psalm 117, not through the American lens, but through the lens of scripture. Psalm 117 in its proper context was a psalm for the song uh, of the people of Israel. For Israel, the nations refers to all people outside of Israel. They had their own ethnocentricity, right? So for Israel, the nations was everyone outside of Israel, which would include, by the way, us. We're the ethnics here, right? And, uh, and so, uh, and just as we had our own ethnic biases, Israel had its own ethnic biases as well. Now, they had a little bit of a reason, and that is because God had chosen Israel uh, as his own people. And so they were at the center. But what they forgot, what they'd forgotten, as Israel was chosen as God's people, not instead of the nations, but for the sake of the nations. That God's plan all along had to bring, was to bring salvation to the nations. And so their own ethnic bias caused them to miss out on God's great mission. They put themselves at the center to the exclusion of the rest of the world rather than for the sake of the rest of the world. And by the way, the whole book of Jonah is about that. Uh, as how Israel did not care about the nations. They wanted to nuke the nations. And, and so, so they didn't understand. But, but, but we see here in scripture that, that God chooses his people for the sake of the nations. Examples we've seen before, but let's go over again. In Genesis chapter 12, God initiates his covenant with Abraham and with the Jews uh, through Abraham. Through, I'll be a God to you and your children after you, as we mentioned earlier. But in that, when God makes the covenant with Abraham, he does not bless Abraham and the Israelites for themselves, but through them, he says, so that all the families of the earth, so that every ethnic group would be blessed. The promise to bless the nations is so emphatic in the book of Genesis, it's repeated five times. Quick examples. Genesis 12, three, notice the theme here. God says to Abraham, and in you, all the families, that is all the ethnic groups of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 18, 
and, through, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 22, 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 26, 4. God repeats it to Abram's son, Isaac. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then to Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Do you think he's making a point? Over and over again. And then the Psalms, by the way, and then the prophets. And then, of course, we see it uh, in, uh, in Jesus as well. God's plan all along was through Israel, God would bring his love to the world. And that is why it's no surprise. Remember when, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3? And Jesus says to him, for God so loved Israel that he sent his only begotten son. That's not what he said, is it? He said, for God so loved what? The world. He says, this is all about Israel. This is about the world. I'm here to save the world. And so, because God loves the world, as he says here in John 3, 16, God loves the world. We should love the world. We're the people of God. We love what he loves. God loves the world. And so he invites us to be a part of his mission. Uh, God loves the world. And so God is rescuing people from every tribe, every language group, every ethnicity, every culture, including our own. And he's calling people from all over the world to himself so that they may know his love. This has been God's plan all along. He calls people to himself so that through them, he may call others to himself. God blesses some so that they may be a blessing to others. So the mission of God is not only that we would worship God ourselves, but the mission of God is that we would invite the nations to join into worshiping God with us. So we join in God's mission. We go to the nations because of God's love for us. We go because God's love for the nations. And thirdly, we go because God has sent, them, sent us to them. We are a sent people. Now, the Psalms were the hymn book of the people of God, uh, which means this brief little psalm is a praise chorus in the hymn book. And so we have this short little praise chorus uh, that the people of Israel would sing in worship to God. Yet, notice that this is a praise chorus. It's a worship song. But as Israel sings the song, notice who they're singing it to. They're not singing the song. They're singing it in worship but the audience ultimately is not just God, it's being sung to the nations. They're singing to the nations. So we are called here in the Psalm to sing and worship to God, but we don't just sing just to God, we sing to the nations. And the implication is clear. We're to sing to the nations of God's great love. Well, for us to sing to the nations, you have to go to the nations. They're not going to come here and sing here. We have to go sing to them where they are. Uh, or to put it in the language that the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 10, paraphrase him a, a, a bit here, but still at the essence of this. Uh, how can the nations praise God if they have not heard about him? How can all peoples extol his virtues if they don't know of God's virtues? God is sending, sending us to the nations to borrow a line from Coca-Cola so we can teach the world to sing. That is our mission. We're here to teach the world to sing. Jesus echoes this theme as well. 
On the very night Jesus rose again from the dead, he appears to his disciples, and you can imagine this. Jesus had just been crucified. They heard about he'd been rose from the dead. They're gathered in the upper room, and all of a sudden Jesus comes through the wall, and he's there with them on the very night, that first Easter night, and the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you which was a good word because if somebody shows up walking through a wall who's supposed to be dead, you first thing you wanna hear is peace be with you. I'm not here to kill you, okay? First thing he says, peace be with you. Then the next thing he says to them, immediately after that, is he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. He is sending us. Uh, As uh, Paul Borthwick observes, We don't need to ask if we are sent. Jesus says we are. What we need to ask is to where and to whom. We are a sent people. If we're going to teach the world to sing of God's steadfast love, we must go to the nations. That, of course, begins right here. Because as we've seen already, we are the ethnics. We are the nations. They are all around us. Uh, It includes people who share your own ethnic identity and those who are different from you. So going to the nations begins by walking across the room or walking across the street or walking to the cubicle in your building. It begins by engaging with those with whom you live and you work and you play. Uh, And and uh, we engage with those who don't yet understand God's steadfast love. And as we engage with them, as we engage with them, remember, we're not singing to them about how we have it all together. It's not a song about us. Rather, we're singing of God's faithfulness. We're not singing of our faithfulness. And and I think this can blow your stereotype of what it means to be a good witness. Oftentimes, we think to be a good witness is to to go around and let the the non-Christians see, look how good I am and how I have it all together. Great is my faithfulness. That's not the song. The song is, I am a sinner, and I'm broken, and I was lost, and I was alienated from God. And it isn't that I had the good sense to go running towards him, but God in his pursuing love tracked me down and he loves me. And even when I've been unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to me. That's who God is. We're singing about him. We're not singing about us. And so our witness and our testimony is always to him. But God has not only called us to go where we live, work, and play. God has sent his people to the whole world, to all the nations. There are many places in the world where most of the people do not know the truth about God's love. They have not heard, no one has told them, they've never met anyone who knows, they've never met a real Christian. And and then there are other places in the world where we have sent missionaries and and frankly, we've exported a a defective gospel. There are places all over the world where, where in the name of Christ, people are teaching legalism. And which is that you're saved by faith and by doing good works and you stay in good, God's graces by, by, by your own uh, obedience. And we're teaching them that we're justified by grace and by works. And it's a faulty gospel. And all over the world, in Latin America and Africa and other places, we've exported uh, this thing known as the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And it says if you just believe enough and you just pray enough and you're obedient enough and you just have enough faith, then God's going to make you rich. And if you're not rich, it's because you haven't done those things. That is not the gospel. That leads people to spiritual bondage, and they need to be set free. And, and so we need to go with the true gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of God's steadfast love. Now, you may be thinking... Some of you thinking, well, yes, somebody ought to go. And um, 
You know, I think we think about missions the same thing we think about charity. You know, we like to spend other people's money, you know? Uh, OPM is our great way to, uh, to, to solve all, all world problems. Yeah, somebody ought to do something, you know, government, agency, somebody. Well, we are the people of God. And God calls us to be part of his mission. And you may be thinking, you're not qualified to serve in a cross-cultural context. And, you know, that might be true. Uh, that might be true. Not everyone can serve outside of their context. And, and if that's the case for you, it would be wrong for us to send you. Now, I read about a, a manager who once said about a, a, a poor-performing employee, he said, you know, whenever that, that man is here at work, it's like having two good men gone, you know? Uh, he, he's such a distraction. And if you're going to make it so two good people are gone by going over, we're not going to send you, okay? Uh, but I can tell you that, uh, that we, you know, missions agencies do a wonderful job of vetting these days and, and can help you find out if you're qualified or not. For others of you, you may be thinking, well, you know, uh, you just don't have the gifts. And, um, uh, but you don't realize that in missions, there are many gifts and talents that are needed on the mission field. You don't have to be a pastor or teacher to be a missionary. We need people who are skilled in accounting, graphic design, management, entrepreneurship, uh, counseling, construction, leadership, trust me, the worst thing we can do for the kingdom of God is send a bunch of people who are all like me. That would be a disaster. What we need are people like you, with your gifts and your talents. And one of the great needs we have are, are people with a business and leadership experience. Uh, I was going to mention Carl Chaplin's one of our missionaries here. His, his booth is out there. He's with a ministry called 1826 that is tied to Mission to the World. And it's helping people go in as, as business people. Uh, we'll have access to places that, that someone as a pastor could never have access. And some of you are thinking, you know, I'm too old. I mean, like Mark, I'm like almost your age, and, and um, I, I can't do this. Uh, and, and, and I know what you're thinking. Um, you know what a blessing it would be to many of our mission teams around the world to have some godly, mature, seasoned people who've kind of been knocked around a little bit by life and just to go and be part of that team? I mean, what you would bring to that team it, it would be, I mean, they need you. They need you. And the opportunities are there. And so, so again, that's why I want you to come back at 430. I'm going to throw out the pitch, but I want you to come. And I want you to hear and listen. But besides going, we need to pray and we need to give. And in your bulletin today, if you'll please pull this out, we have a little card uh, called uh, Unordinary. And it talks about our opportunity to be engaged in missions. Our prayer as a church and as a denomination is that 1% of our people over the next decade will go into foreign missions. We don't care if you go with our denomination or if you go with another agency, we would like to see 1% go and be a part of that. Now that may seem like a, a small prayer, uh, but, uh, but it is a great prayer and it means if we're gonna see that many more people go, we need to raise significantly more money for them to go. If they're gonna go, we need to support. And so uh, we're asking if you are a part of our church family or if you want to be a part of this, if you will give over and above your regular tithe to supporting uh, the mission's work. And you, what we would like for you to do is you can just check the appropriate box of how much you would like to give and how, much you will, uh, how often you will make that gift. So if you check $5,000 and you check weekly, that would be great. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> 
but you might wanna make sure you check the right box. Now, we're not gonna bill you. Uh, we're not gonna send a collection agency. This isn't a, pl uh, a, a pledge. You're praying that as God provides, you will give. And this will be between you and the Lord, but to help us with our planning, you can tear this off. It folds and tear it off and uh, give that to us and keep this stub by itself. And I don't think we had plans to collect these this morning. So when you come at 4.30, you know, um, or I tell you what you can do uh, is uh, we, we can uh, leave those at uh, the, the doors. Can I get the ushers to help out just at the doors to collect these that people would like? I don't know if I'm not seeing any signal, but if somebody will, that would be great. And uh, we can turn those in as well. But let me pray uh, as we seek to be a part of what God is doing around the world. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are at work in bringing the nations to yourself. We thank you that this is not something we only hope for, it's something we know that you will do. You have promised that around the throne, there'll be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nationality. And so Lord, we pray that as you are about your mission, that we as your people will be faithful in joining you in that mission. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.